Well, as we come to the study of Scripture now in this time of worship, uh, please note that in the next two weeks from now, there will be a spiritual life survey sent to you to help determine how we can grow in the Lord and the grace and knowledge of Christ. It'll be a, take about 30 minutes on the, your, your personal computer, or you can come here on a Lord's Day, and we'll do that with you. We'll have a team of people, but those um, announcements are forthcoming, but just be thinking about that two weeks from now, that week. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that your word is a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we thank you that you're a God of order and beauty and joy. And we ask especially that you take the word of God and make it applicable in our understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is a gentleman named Raoul Amundsen who is referred to as the last Viking. He discovered the South Pole. He was the second person to go to the North Pole. He, he found and charted the Northwest Passage on Norwegian in his day. He died about 19 and 20 in his day. He was the man. In 1918, he was going toward a polar expedition, and he'd gone as far as he could. They went out for two years at a time. It was unbelievable stuff. And his boat had frozen in an ice area, and they were going to go further in when the ice thawed, and he fell, and he broke his arm, and his arm was in a sling, and one day he got up, and his dogs, and he loved dearly, the dogs that were his sled dogs, were out running on the ice pack, and he heard them playing. He said, I'm going to go for a walk, and so he tenderly walked down the gangplank to go on this ice formation, and it was misty, and he was calling for the dogs to walk with the dogs, and all of a sudden, out of the polar mist, one of the dogs came charging toward him, and right behind the dog was an enraged polar bear. And so this is what he says. He says, the situation had its humorous side, but I did not pause to enjoy it. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't says. He said, he stared at the bear, and then it stared at him, and he wondered what he should do. He was alone on the ice with a bound arm and shoulder, so he turned and sprinted toward the ship, but the bear was faster. He came up behind him, and Amundsen heard his loud, rasping breath before being smacked to the ice by a mighty paw. The fall re-injured his arm, and the bear began to maul him, tearing at his very thick clothing, obviously, only when one of the dogs returned to torment the beast did it leave him alone and take off after the dog. A staggered and bleeding Amundsen went up the gangplank into the ship, bleeding from gashes in his back. Only his heavy leather clothing had saved him from death. He later was asked, what was going through your mind as the bear was swatting at you and pulling at your clothing and digging his paws into your flesh? And this is what he said. He said, admittedly, I am an eccentric person. And the all-consuming question that came to his mind vividly was this. How many hairpins were swept up on Regent Street in London on Monday morning? The, the, the thought that came to his mind is how many hairpins are swept up on Regent Street on Monday morning in London. And I read that and I thought, of course, that was an involuntary, I don't know where that came from, but that was involuntary. But I, I thought, so often we can walk through life and we're being attacked by various forces, maybe not a polar bear, but the cultural forces, 
and our minds are not weighed down with ultimate issues, but they're weighed down with mere trivialities. And so this morning we're going to talk about some weighty issues out of Romans chapter 1. Very weighty issues. In Romans chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 24 to 32. Listen to the Word of God. The Apostle Paul is writing to this minority church in this major city surrounded by all types of unbelief and excesses in the area of morality. And he just talked about the common grace of God, the general revelation of God. And now he says in verse 24, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who has blessed, is forever blessed. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So we come uh, to this text this morning. I'm going to give you some principles and make some application statements. Uh, pr principle number one is God is and he has spoken. And in God's speaking, unchanging, glorious, triune nature, he has given us paths of life and blessing or paths of disobedience when we are continually given over. But God has gloriously spoken, therefore, it is incumbent upon us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, to, to grapple with the truth and to make application to our hearts. In, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul has this prayer for the church at Colossae. He says, and, and, and so from the day we heard, verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, so he begins this little prayer with, filled with the knowledge of his will, growing in the knowledge of God. We're, we're people who say God is and God has spoken, and it's our responsibility to grapple with what God, who is glorious and good and holy and magnificent, has said. I recently was reading about a, a well-known movie actor and his well-known wife, and the rumor is that they have, quote, an open marriage, which means there's no 
fidelity in the area of their intimacy. Supposedly, if they want to be with someone else, they can, as long as they inform each other about the deed. It's just weird. Anyway. And, and when the woman was confronted about that, this was her response. People get the idea about this because we're very relaxed about one another and other people. She didn't deny it, but she didn't affirm it. She said, I've always told my husband, you can do whatever you want as long as you can look at yourself in the mirror and be okay with it. At the end of the day, he is his own man. He has to decide what he wants to be, and that's what's not good for him. And the same is true for me. And I thought, you know, at the end of the day, you look in the mirror if you can look in the mirror and say, I'm okay with who I am, then it's okay with you. Give me a break. You know, listen, Jeremiah 17 says the heart of man is deceitful. It's deceitful. I can convince myself of almost anything, maybe anything. Some people say, well, I, I don't think I could go there. I don't know. My heart's very deceitful. I need a mirror that is true truth, that calls the shots. This says, this is true, this is wrong. This is true, this is wrong. That's why when it comes to sports, I like sports where there is a cylinder, and when the ball goes in, it counts for two or three points or one point. Instead of a bunch of judges doing their estimation of skating. It's very, to me, to me it can be very subjective, but the ball goes in, stand on the free throw line, that's one point. You stand behind this line, the ball goes in, that's three points. I, I, don't, I don't need a murky subjective, if it's okay for I need objective truth. God has spoken. There's a man named Eugene Robinson, who was formerly the bishop of New Hampshire in the Episcopal Church. Years ago, he made news when he became, I think, the first ordained uh, priest bishop in the Episcopal Church who was professing outwardly homosexual. He's written a book that I, I, I read through about his life and his experience. But just a couple of quotes here. As he became aware of what he thought was his homosexual tendencies, he's married with two daughters. He leaves his wife and they get together and they have this uh, ending of their marriage the day they were officially divorced, and they ended up by going to church and taking the Lord's Supper together, which to me is a deep mockery of God. And he says this. Now, I want you to see, this is, this, is, this is just doublespeak, okay? I could not and I would not merely brush Scripture aside, but, okay? Whenever somebody says, I know the Bible says this, but, count your silver. Count your place settings. I could not and would not merely brush Scripture aside, but rather I had to go deeper. Listen, you don't go deeper than God's Word. You don't. Now, th this is limited truth. This is an exhaustive truth. After we're in heaven for millions of years, we will not begin to plumb the depth of the triune God. But this is true truth. You don't go deeper than Scripture. Later in the book, he says this, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus was the perfect revelation of God. Not only the revelation of God, not, excuse me, not the only revelation of God. What, what kind of limited God would, be, would that be if God couldn't reveal God's self in multiple ways? Question mark, close quote. 
Again, it is a denial of biblical truth. I believe in Jesus, but he's not the only revelation. I believe in God's truth, but it's not the only truth. There's deeper truths. We believe, listen, we just had new members class. If you're thinking about being part of this church, we believe God's word is binding and true and fixed. It is sufficient. It is gloriously revealing of the character of God. We walk here. The second thing is this. Or just a couple, just look at these promises. Speaking of scripture, Psalm 19, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there's great reward. I want to love the Bible because it points to the God of the Bible, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or, or 2 Timothy 3, 17. It's just talked about verse 16. says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you want to be equipped to walk through life with, with joy and liberty and dignity? Then be a person of the book. So, n- number two. Verse, verse 27 says that... That the end result of all of this sexual misbehavior is that they received in themselves the, the due penalty for their error. Here's the standard of God, and as people walk away from the standard of God, that they go deeper and deeper and deeper unto the unraveling, the free fall of their life. Instead of glorious liberty and, and, and balance and freedom and beauty and symphonic overtures, it gets more and more of a cacophonic unraveling in, in their lives. In the book of Deuteronomy, there's a, there's a call to obedience. Deuteronomy chapter 30 says this, I set before you today, I set before you today, I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I've set before you life and death, Blessing and curse, therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, may flourish. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land the Lord swore to your fathers. Choose life that you may flourish and live, you and your offspring. And then Jeremiah, when Jeremiah is calling the people of Israel back to repentance, he says, the Lord says, you know, my, my people, my, pe- my people have, 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 have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug broken cisterns that can't even hold water. And so, brothers and sisters, when you walk away from the truth, you go into an unraveling of spirit, to a death of spirit. And so when we, number three, when we bow down to something, when we cling to something, that will define us. Verse 24 says this, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, all types of sexual sin. God says sex is for marriage, period. Marriage is one man and one woman. 
because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then he has just a brief, brief, really clause about women. It's almost like he's even embarrassed to say this. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, number one, gave, gave up natural relations with women. Number two, they were consumed with passions for one another. Number three, they committed shameless acts with other men, and they received in themselves the penalty for their error. They received in themselves the gnawing sense of abandoned by God, a life unraveling. The death cry of the human psyche is this, I call the shots. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. The life-giving call of the child of God who's seen the beauty and the glory of the supremacy of Christ is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come in my life. Thy kingdom come in my passions. Thy kingdom come in my relationships. Come, Almighty God, glorious, good, liberating, life-giving God, come. Thy kingdom come. And fourthly, there are noble people who do not know Christ, but there is a sliding scale of disobedience. And the sliding scale is listed with 21 descriptions in verses 28 and following, 29 to 31. See, you, you, you leave the truth of God and you slide deeper and deeper and deeper into in the abyss. Now, now, and it ends up, it ends up in verse 32 in this remarkable statement. He says in, in verse 32 that although they know God's righteous decree that those who practice the above things deserve death, they not only do them, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Not only do they do it, but they stand up and they applaud people and say, you go, you go, you do this. There's a militancy about people who slide into the abyss. And you see it in our culture. Okay, one, one, let me just say this. One argument for this passage is that this passage is describing, this is an argument in the last 20 years or so. This passage is describing people who leave their natural orientation, heterosexuality, and go into same-sex relationships. It is not describing people who are born with a homosexual orientation. The answer to that is the Bible knows no such category. And the Bible is complete and sufficient. We, 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 there's no known category like that in Scripture. God made us male and female. It is a glorious design. It is a wonderful design. Do not come with modern-day renovations and make those paramount to above supra-biblical. The Bible says very clearly here, there, there's, 
This passage is undeniably clear that, that God made us to have passions for the opposite sex. And that's to be exercised in marriage. Anything outside of that is sin. And a step removed from natural other sexual relations would be relations with the same sex. So just some application statements. Number one, we are made to worship. We're made to be worshipers of the living God. It's interesting, in this passage, Paul breaks out into doxology. Very interesting to me. Verse 25 says, you know, he talks about exchanging the truth of God for a lie, and then he says this, rather than the Creator who is blessed forever, amen. So right in the middle of this very difficult passage, dealing with a very difficult issue in a city that was very friendly to homosexuality, Paul says, listen, we worship the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And I, I, just, I just get from that, I, I just get that if, if we're going to fight against these issues in our own lives, the, these, these passions that are outside of marriage, if we're to fight against sin, we've got to be people who glory in and rejoice in the goodness and the majesty of Christ. I think of Galatians, where Paul is talking about putting to death the sins of the flesh. And he says in verse 13, for, for you were called to freedom, chapter 5. You, you were called to freedom, brothers. Freedom. Now, how do you get there? Verse 16, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Just walk by the Spirit. And in verse 25, he says, but if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So if, if I'm to walk in the freedom of Christ in any area, I've got to be a worshiper. I've got to walk by the Spirit. I've got to see the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. I, I was doing this research and did some study on the Islamic tradition and how the Islamic tradition resists sexual temptations. And I'll just read several of their bullet points. Avoid stimulating things. This includes looking at attractive and sexy figures. Okay? Number two, avoid thinking about sex and stimulating things. These are stimulating a lot here. Stimulating things and try to, to fill your mind with something useful. Number three, don't engage in deep relations, especially with those of emotional and personal nature with members of the opposite sex. Another one says, don't stay alone with a woman since the most dangerous situation, which will mostly turn into illegal relations. Satan is always the third person in that relationship. Next, think, think about the guarantee promised by Islam. Islam gives you the ultimate guarantee of safety to your own. Don't look at, at girls or think about them. Four, find a mental hobby. Or next, find a mental hobby. And I thought... That's no different than a lot of evangelical websites. Do this, do that, do this. If we do not say paramountly, number one, glory in the majesty of Jesus and walk in the power of the Spirit, we're no different than these guys. How do you put to death sin and all its variations? Anger, bitterness, rage, whatever. How do you put it to death? You realize we serve the blessed Creator who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who is forever alive. Amen. 
That's what you do. In, in the middle of a very discouraging passage, Paul says, you know, just, just remember God. Remember the glory of God. And I, I've got to see the blessedness and, and the glory of God in the person of Christ. That's what Jonathan Edwards says. He died in 1758. He says, he says, all the gifts of life, as wonderful as they are, are shadows. God is a substance. They are but scattered beams. God is the sun. They are but streams, but God is a fountain. They are but drops. God is the ocean. I look at ourselves and I think, you know, if we're going to walk in, the, as, in a manner worthy of God, as Paul prays in Colossians 1, be, be filled with the knowledge of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may Walk in a manner pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work. If we're going to do that, we've got to be saturated with the greatness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God is glorious and He is good. All the gifts of life, and there's the gifts of life are glorious. They are but streams, God is a fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Secondly, we must speak to people who are trapped in all types of sin with compassion. We must live out the reality of Christ as a community, a counterculture with beautiful relationships. We speak with broken compassion, and we are a counterculture. We, we live as, as unto the Lord. We treat people with dignity as unto the Lord. We treat people with grace as unto the Lord. We speak with, with integrity and biblical fidelity and with brokenness. And only the Holy Spirit does that in our life. We serve the Christ who wept over Jerusalem and washed the feet of his men on the day he was going to be betrayed. And we serve the Jesus who overturned the money changers' uh, tables, the temple. We serve Jesus. And so we live in a culture where, remember the Greek mythology, Pandora? You know, she was Poseidon's daughter, and she, this box represents all the evils in the world, and she opens it just a little bit. And she starts a chain reaction that led to despair. We, we live in a culture that has opened up a Pandora's box in many ways. There's a poem, Alexander Pope, that says, quote, frequently, vice is a monster such frightful mean as to be hated but be seen, yet seen too oft. We grow accustomed to her face. First we endure, then we pity, then we embrace. You see, what, what is unacceptable is entertained, and it becomes acceptable, and it becomes the norm. It becomes the norm. And it's a great sadness to me that we are we're entertaining uh, this homosexuality as a viable lifestyle that was unthinkable 30 years ago. Unthinkable in the 
history of Western civilization. Just unthinkable. First we endure, then we pity, then we embrace. My, um, when I was a young man, high school, college, my granddaddy, my dad's dad, died when I was 23. So I knew him very well. My other granddaddy died when I was three. I didn't ever have a chance to know him, but I knew Granddaddy Brown. He was a tenant farmer growing up, a deputy sheriff, started a furniture store. Third grade education. Didn't say much. I would go up to his house and sit on the front porch and I'd rock with him as he smoked his unfiltered camel cigarettes. And somebody would say something, and if it was just outlandish, he would say, they good gosh almighty. That's all I'd say. Just shake his head. Good gosh. And I thought, you know, what, 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 would, I, what would, would he think if I said, Granddad? This is, he died in 74. Why do you think about men being married to men and women being married to women? I think he'd just die. He wouldn't even say, good gosh almighty. See, what was unthinkable has become thinkable and I fear will be the norm, but we're called to be the people of God. 1898, Utah would become a state. The con- congressional leaders the, said, you can become a state if you write into your constitution that polygamy is wrong. And they did it. Uh, maybe the Congress will go back to Utah in a few years, hat in hand, and say, please forgive us for being cultural imperatives, for being chronologically snobs. It is a difficult time. So last week, somebody graciously confronted me and said, you know, you said you're somewhat pessimistic. He says, but we should never be pessimistic as Christians. And he's right. Let me explain. The kingdom of God is greater than our culture. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I was speaking just as a cultural observer. Go back to the Great Commission. You know, we read the Great Commission and we don't, you know, Christ says, all authority is given to me on heaven and on earth. Go you therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Now think about it. He's speaking to a group of uneducated, unschooled, powerless Jews. I'm sure when he said that, before the Holy Spirit had been fully given, I think the disciples looked around and said, who's he talking to? He's talking to us? I think today the same is true. We need to say, God, use who I am to your glory. Let me stand with diligence and grace, but let me stand. So a couple of questions that people ask or say. First of all, in the area of sexuality, it is not the attraction. It is the acting on the attraction, whatever it may be. For those of us who are married, if there is an attraction to someone else, we turn from it. We want to honor God. Martin Luther said very famously, he's been quoted thousands of times, we're not responsible. If the birds fly over our head, we are responsible if they build a nest in our hair. Understand? So it's, it's not the attraction, it is acting upon it. So you turn away from it and you plead with God and you talk to people. The second thing is this, there is full forgiveness. There is full, if if there wasn't full forgiveness under the reality of Jesus and his shed blood on the cross, I couldn't stand here. 
We don't throw rocks at people. We open our arms to people. We glory in the cross. Number three, the Bible says there are honorable passions and there are dishonorable passions. Honorable passions are passions for a member of the opposite sex that's lived out in the context of marriage, period. Talking about honorable passions next week. It's hard for me to believe this, but I've seen survey after survey that says the millennials, 18, those born from 1983 to 2003, 2004, among the millennials, 80%, 81% say there's no issue with homosexual marriage. It's a great, great grief to my soul. And then there's an editorial in The Economist magazine, which is a pretty conservative magazine out of Britain. It's really a, 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 when it comes to social issues, they are all over the place. And this editorial, just part of it said this, it talked about the acceptance of homosexual marriage in America, period. It says, that advance in compassion and understanding, dot, dot, dot. So it's just assumed that if you believe that, it, there's, there's a great advance in compassion and understanding. We reject that. We say, no, the, the most loving thing we can do for people who are involved in sin that is confronted by the Scripture Involved in a sin where the scripture says, if you continue in that sin, you have no place in the kingdom of God. Where there is, there's a catalog of sins in 1 Corinthians. The most loving thing we can do is to go to them in brokenness and tears and say, behold the glory of Christ. Behold the call to repentance. Behold the wonder of Jesus. That is loving. The most unloving thing we can do to someone is to walk by and to pat them on the back knowing their behavior is inconsistent with Scripture and knowing that the Bible says if they continue this behavior, they have no share in the kingdom of heaven. To pat them on the back and say, you know, I think you're wonderful. That is dastardly. It is unbiblical. It is cowardly. And we need to be people of brave brokenness. Fourthly, they exchanged, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature, their impulses in many forms, instead of the God who's forever blessed. Amen. The, the way we safeguard ourselves is to be in community, is to think biblically. The way we safeguard ourselves is to understand the, the closing exhortation in 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter says, he says, brothers, knowing this, the error that's going to come, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless men and lose your stability, your firm footing, but... Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Church, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Behold the beauty of Christ. I, I, uh, I, I put off watching Les Mis. I just couldn't, couldn't understand how um, Hugh Jackman could be in a musical. I like Hugh Jackman, Wolverine. 
How can Wolverine be in a musical? But this week, I watched Les Mis. I was absolutely mesmerized by the beauty of the music, by the beauty of the score, by, 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 the, by, by the, the, really, the, the beauty of the sets. It was, it was, it was, incre- it was incredible. On a one to ten, it was a ten plus. And I just sat there throughout the movie thinking, I was talking about the, the, the hurt of people and thought about the encroaching reality of evil. And I thought, I thought, as I, I was looking at it through, I know, biblical eyes, I hope, I saw a great story of redemption. And I, I was going, what beauty. Thank God for symphonic beauty. Thank God for hope. But it, it flows from the understanding of God is. Russell Kirk wrote a book called The Conservative Mind, and he says this. He says, the, the man who understands truth, he says, he apprehends that, that truth brings the greatest happiness ever granted to man. He is the privilege, and the greatest happiness of man is the privilege of being happy in the hour of his death being happy in the hour of his death. I pray God that we can say with Paul, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I wasn't a captive primarily to my culture. My heart was captivated by the glory of Christ and the word of God. That's where I stood with dignity, with brokenness, with love. That's where I stood. May God give us hearts to be that. Okay? Let's pray. This day we thank you for your goodness and your mercy that are never ending. And we pray, Lord, that we'd be people who speak as Christ followers to people with brokenness and grace and love and dignity. Lord, let us speak. Let us live it. Uh, And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.